I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. This episode is about Kate Hess sharing her wisdom of how to truly practice self-care and the difference between self-care and self-work. Kate learned the hard way after feeling so much pressure at work that she would have to shut the door, curl up under her desk, and cry at the end of each day. Kate realized that something needed to change and it needed to change right away. In this episode, she discusses how to set healthy boundaries and the importance of having them, as well as how you can quiet that inner critic and even change what it says to you, and why this is so important on the path to self-love. She also lets you know how to set yourself up for success when it comes to personal development, and additionally, she has a whole lot more advice packed into this episode. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of experiences, lessons, and knowledge. So join me for episode 28 of The Beauty and the Mess called Practicing Self-Care with Kate Hess. Kate is a mental and emotional hygiene coach for women seeking to quiet their critical inner voice. Through her insightful blog posts, individual coaching, and on-demand classes, she'll teach you how to transmute self-criticism into self-love, transforming the daunting into the doable with simple and clear action steps. When Kate's not coaching, you can find her coaxing plants into bloom, knitting cozy socks, or curled up reading. So without further ado... Let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. I'm so grateful to have you with us today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I know that you are a mental and emotional hygiene coach, but if you don't mind, can we have a little bit of your backstory? Like what led you down the coaching path? What made you realize that this is your passion? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to rewind about gosh, at this point, it's, you know, seven, eight years, we're getting close to a decade. Actually, no, it's even more than that. It's even longer than that. Definitely a decade ago, I found myself curled up under my desk at work every afternoon crying and overwhelmed and burnt out. And so I would just climb under my desk, shut my office door and just cry because I had to release the pressure somehow. That was the only way I knew how. And it was not the first time in my life that I had been burnt out to that point. I came to realize that I was a people pleaser. I was a perfectionist. I did not know how to have healthy boundaries. I wasn't even really sure how to take care of myself. And so one day kind of just crawled up. I realized it was just unsustainable. I knew that I was on a path that was not taking me in a good direction. Health-wise, mental health-wise, everything. And so I knew something needed to change. I wasn't really sure what needed to change, but I knew something needed to change. And so I started lots of learning and research and experimenting and trying different things and trying to figure out what worked for me and what didn't work for me and how I could get from this really miserable person to a much happier person who enjoyed their life. And there are some really fantastic teachers that I was able to work with along the way, but I didn't ever during that part of my journey work one-on-one with a coach. And I really struggled through a lot of trial and error. And once I started getting a real handle on what worked, what didn't, how things could be customized or tailored to work for me, or maybe I would talk to somebody else and discover how we could tailor things to work for them. I started realizing that I would be able to help other people really bypass a lot of 
the trial and error that I went through. Absolutely. Yeah. Take what was a many years journey and sort of start compressing it by removing a lot of the things that maybe didn't work or knowing how to help somebody customize tools to work for them. And so that's the journey that got me here. Wow. If I can ask, did you just quit your job and jump right over or was it a slow progressing? Yeah. So I firmly believe that it's not about changing your life. It's about changing the way you show up for your life. And so I did not quit my job. My very first step was I got onto a yoga mat. I started taking yoga classes again. And that was my very first step. And I didn't really dive into too much else beyond that for months and months, maybe even a year. It was just kind of showing up at yoga class and starting to really reconnect back to myself. I was releasing a lot. There was a very long period of time where I would just cry in every Shavasana as just things moved and were released. And slowly things evolved and I learned more and got more tools. And the job that I was working at, that job was a full-time job. I moved and it became a part-time remote job. And then a few more years later, I left that position and moved full-time into the coaching. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I know you talk about boundaries too. And I was just curious. I know we all have personal boundaries, but like you were overwhelmed at work. I have a hard time saying, no, I can't do that. I can't take on one more thing. So how do you set up boundaries at work or is that feasible? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is so critical when we talk about boundaries is that really internalizing and recognizing that every yes is also a no. So when you say yes to something, you have to say no to anything else you could do with that time, that energy, those other resources. So when we're talking about work, for instance, if you have a full plate of work and your boss says, hey, here's something else I need you to do, then something else on that plate gets sacrificed. You work overtime and something from your personal life gets sacrificed. Or you don't have the full capacity to give to this project. So whatever it is that you've said yes to doesn't really get done to the best of your ability. And so hopefully we all have bosses. I work for myself now, but hopefully we all have bosses. And I've been lucky enough to have some really wonderful bosses that you can sit down with and say, hey, if I take this project on, what are we taking off of my plate? What is no longer priority? There's a quote that I love that is, if everything is a priority, then nothing's a priority. That is a good quote. I'm going to have to remember that. You know, it's one thing when you have your supervisor coming and saying, hey, here's something more to add to your plate. And you can have a conversation and say, I'd really like to talk about what's actually feasible within the scope of my time. And where I ran into trouble with this job where I was burnt out was I continued taking on projects because I was a perfectionist and I was working for a nonprofit organization and I cared so deeply about the organization and the mission, and the people we served. I would see something that wasn't being done to my level of perfection. And I would say, oh, I'll just add that to my list. Oh, I'll just scoop that up too. Oh, I can take care of that too. And so I just kept gathering more tasks and more responsibilities to myself. And honestly, I would drop balls. I didn't do a great job on everything because I was trying to do three people's jobs. Is that part of the people pleasing too? Because I have that issue too, but it's, you want to help people and you don't want to tell anybody no. Yeah. 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 Yep. And that's so hard to start saying no. (laughs) It's so hard. And part of it is that recognizing that if you're saying no to something, then the flip side of that every yes is also no is every no is also a yes. So when you say no to something, what are you saying yes to? But the other piece of it is I've really come to realize that when I say yes to everything and to everyone, no one gets the best of me. When I drove myself to burnout, I was this empty shell person. I couldn't show up fully present or 
even fun really for most people because I was stressed out all the time. And so by selectively saying no, you're actually able to be more present, to be a better version of yourself for the people in your life. And so that awareness was really helpful for me in taking that people-pleasing piece saying, okay, if I really want to please the people in my life, they don't want this husk version of me. They want the best, most vibrant version of me. So how do I become that version? That's very true. Yeah. I think a lot of times we forget to stop and think of it in those terms. Yeah. We're so busy trying to help everybody that we get caught up. When did you realize that teaching other people was a passion, coaching other people? I mean, was it just that you saw that you could help them get there faster? Was that it? So rewind back to my college years, which were over two decades ago. And I started tutoring. Honestly, at this point, it's been two decades. I can't remember if it was a work study or if a professor nominated me. I don't remember exactly what the situation was, but I was through through the college. I was a peer tutor. And so there was a student that I was tutoring and he was really struggling. And so I asked him, what do you like? What do you enjoy doing? And I was able to use analogies from his interests and his passions to explain concepts to him that he was just not getting otherwise. And I realized that I really have this ability to take in a lot of information, sort of digest it, and then find a way to bring it back out in a way that is digestible for somebody else, repackaged in a way that somebody else can understand. And that real customization is why I love one-on-one coaching, because I'm able to say, what makes sense to you? What are your interests? What are your passions? What is your field? How do these things go from general to very specific in a way that you can understand them and apply them immediately in your life? And so as I began, part of my journey of kind of healing myself was looking back and saying, well, what lights me up? What do I enjoy? Where am I feeling fulfilled and nourished instead of drained and exhausted? And going back to coaching to that one-on-one relationship was one of those things. That's awesome. I know one thing you talk about that really kind of excites me is you talk about how to battle and overcome that inner voice, that inner critic. And we all have that nagging little voice that's always there with us. So how do we do that? So I've broken it down into four components. I call them the four C's. So the first one is clearing space because so many of us, as we've been discussing, have really full plates. And so the idea of adding one more thing, even if that one more thing in the long run might buy you more time in the short term. I know because I've been there looking at this unbelievably full calendar and saying, I can't, my to-do list is three pages and my calendar is booked and I don't have the time to introduce even a two minute new habit into my life. So the first step is clearing the space. One of the big things that I recommend for that is really learning to trust your intuition because when we trust our intuition, we remove a lot of the indecision paralysis that lag where we just struggle to make a decision. So things that I used to struggle with, what outfit should I wear today? What should I eat for breakfast? (laughs) You know, things where it could be a 30 second decision, or it could be a five, 10 minute decision. How many times do you go into your closet and change your clothes five times and think, well, okay, now I'm running 20 minutes late. (laughs) So When we learn to trust our intuition and we learn to use it every day. So I check in with my intuition hundreds of times a day. Is this email ready to send? Is this the best meal for me to eat today? Things like that. Is this the right way to prioritize my time? When we do that, it means that we have all this spaciousness that we've reclaimed because we've cleared that space that we've been wasting on that indecision, the second guessing struggle. That's kind of learning how to trust yourself too, right? In a way. Yep. To trust your decision. And if you do make a mistake, the next day you do better or try to do better. 
You do. Yes. I really firmly believe in living a life of lessons, not regrets. So each mistake is a lesson. What can I take from this to not have the situation happen again? What is the lesson here? So that's also a big piece of quieting that critic. The second C is clarifying your unique priorities. I think so many of us do things because we think we should be doing them. I should be doing this because society says I should, or that's how my mother did it, or that's what is successful or smart or competent or what a good person does. And so we should all over ourselves. And we're doing these things not because they're actually important to us, but because we believe they should be important to us. And that's a really great way to create a lot of internal struggle and conflict. So when we get clear on our unique priorities and we really understand, okay, this is important to me. And so I have a really clear why I want to be doing this, or this really isn't important to me. And it's something I'm ready to remove from my life, which is where our third C comes in, which is constructing and maintaining healthy boundaries. We've talked about that already, but that's such a key piece because it doesn't matter how much you know what's important to you if you can't say no to the things that aren't important and make room for what it is. I think you made a good point earlier too, where a lot of times we don't even test the water. I mean, that person's probably open to us saying, hey, wait a minute, this is too much, but we don't say it's too much because we're afraid to approach that boundary. You know what I mean? Absolutely. In my own life and when we're working with clients, I am always amazed at how many times somebody has been afraid to draw a boundary. And we say simply, I want to show up as the best version of me for you. And I can't do that today. Can we move till tomorrow? Or I, I want to do the best job I can at this job. And that means not taking on this project. Is there somebody else we can delegate it to? How often the response is, oh my gosh, of course, absolutely, not a problem. Nobody wants us to be stressed out, strung out, overwhelmed, miserable. They don't want that for us. And if there is somebody in your life that wants that for you, that's when we start questioning the relationship. Very true. (laughs) It's time for a bigger change. Yeah, but most people, they don't want that for you. They care about why they're in your life. Right. They want you to be happy. And then the fourth C is consistent, sufficient, and sustainable self-care and self-work routine. So I really distinguish between self-care and self-work. Self-work is something that we usually refer to as personal development. I call it self-work because I really want to recognize that a lot of these things that we sometimes group under self-care aren't actually going to refill and restore you. So all of those other things that we talked about, getting clear on your priorities, creating boundaries, all of those things, they are really helpful mental and emotional hygiene tools, but they're not self-care. So self-care is what nourishes us. It's what replenishes us. It's what refills our mental, emotional, and physical energy reserves. Those are things that are going to help us learn and grow and have more energy reserves in the long run, but they take energy when they happen. So often when somebody is trying to do all the right things and they're still so tired and busy and overwhelmed, I see it a lot when somebody says self-care feels like a chore, they're not actually doing self-care. So what are some examples of self-care? So one of the big Things is distinguishing self-care, self-work, and distraction. And distraction is what I consider empty calories. It's not contributing. It's not nourishing you. It's not really draining you particularly quickly either. It's just sort of zoning out, kind of abdicating connection to what's going on in your life. And so I like to give the example of taking a walk in the park. So you go into the park and you pop in your earbuds and you put on some music and you have 30 minutes and you need to get 4,000 steps in. So you're walking at a fitness pace and you're just listening to music and cruising through the park. That's self-work. That's helping you accomplish a goal. It's helping you grow in a certain way. You know, it's improving your physical activity, but it's taking energy. It's not really refilling or restoring you. 
if you go to the park and instead of popping in the earbuds, you go for a walk, a gentle paced walk. You're noticing the world around you. You're listening to the birds. You're smelling the smells. You're really being present in the moment. That's self-care. And the caveat for that is being aware if you are an introvert or an extrovert. So introverts recharge better alone. Extroverts recharge better in the company of others. And so if you're an introvert, you'd enjoy taking that walk alone. As an extrovert, that's something that you'd want to do with a friend, somebody you really care about, somebody that you find enjoyable to spend time with, and you'll recharge much faster that way. A lot of my extrovert clients are trying to follow the take a bath, take a spa day, (laughs) self-care advice, which can be fantastic. But if you're recharging with somebody and you're shutting yourself in your bathroom for two hours, it's not going to feel particularly recharging to you. Right. And then the last one is distraction. And so that is going to the park, putting in your earbuds again, but putting on an entertainment podcast or something that's just distracting you from your life, that's taking you out of any thoughts of what you're experiencing, walking at whatever pace you want without actually trying to achieve any goal other than just zoning out. So that's the difference between the three. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) That helps. (laughs) So I know you also talked about transforming this inner critic into self-love. Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. So As we start using these mental and emotional hygiene tools, as we start working to clarify our boundaries, to create self-care routines, to create healthy boundaries, to trust our intuition, life starts to feel easier. We start to feel more aligned with what's happening, with what's on our day-to-day routine and agenda. And so One of the things that I think takes a lot of awareness is that when you're doing something that's outside of your zone of genius, whether it's something that you feel obligated to do or whether it's an external obligation or an internal obligation, let's say that. If you're trying to do it and it's outside your zone of genius, it's going to take a lot more energy than something that is inside your zone of genius. And those things, your unique priorities are usually within your zone of genius, whether they are things that you actually have the skill set for already or things that you are passionate about developing the skill set for. Those are things that you are going to look at on your to-do list and feel excited and ready to tackle, not dread. And so the more we shift our lives so that we're showing up for activities that we want to be showing up for. We're more excited about them. When we wake up in the morning, you're not waking up and saying, oh God, I cannot handle what's on my to-do list for today. My to-do list is full of things I do not want to be doing. And that's when that inner critic starts chiming in and saying, well, you're never going to get through the list. You're not going to do it well anyway. It's going to be stressful. Why are you even bothering getting out of bed? (laughs) You're going to get back to bed and you're not going to have done everything you wanted to do. And so as we make that shift, what happens is we wake up and we think, wow, there's a bunch of really exciting things on my list for today. And I'm really excited about what today is going to bring for me. And at the end of the day, instead of the inner critic saying, well, you didn't get through your whole list, (laughs) your inner critic begins to say, wow, I feel really grateful that I got to do those things. Gratitude is a lot of it. I do a gratitude practice in the morning and in the evening. So I feel really grateful I got to do all of those things. I feel really proud of the way I handled these situations because they were things that I felt really excited about. And so I brought my all to them. And so as we work with it, it is a journey. It is a never ending journey, I would say. But that inner critic becomes quieter and quieter and quieter. And we become more and more aware of when it's piping up so that we can say, hey, you know what? I hear you. And I really appreciate that you have something that you want to share with me. But I'm in control here. And so you can share it, but I'm not going to attach to that story. I'm not going to buy into what you're sharing with me. And that really is just this deep self-love as you really begin to trust and respect yourself and quiet that critical inner voice. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that there's times that you can have your plate so full that things that you would normally be passionate about feel like chores? Yep. 
And it's just because you have so much going on. Yeah. And if you could quiet some of it, then you could go back to loving those things. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely believe that. I think that there's a lot of reasons that everything in your life could feel like a chore. I actually have a podcast episode on this. I think it's out. I can't remember if it's been released or it's about to be released. But yeah, by the time this airs, it will be live. Okay. There's so many reasons why everything in your life could feel like a chore. But absolutely, if we are tired, everything takes more energy. And so something that you might want to do, if you're tired, think about, I like to use the example of being hangry. If you're hangry, you don't really want to do anything. True. (laughs) You're tired. You're hungry. Your system, all it wants to do is have its basic needs taken care of. And the same thing happens when we are stressed out and overwhelmed. When we are stressed out and overwhelmed, our body is in a chronic state of sympathetic nervous system. So we are chronically in our fight, flight, and freeze response. And when that happens, we are functioning just in a survival mode. It is, what do I have to do to stay alive? It's not, what do I have to do to thrive? What do I have to do to enjoy my life? Those are parasympathetic, arrest and digest things. And so by clearing some of that stuff off of your plate, then those things that you do want to do, you actually have the energy and the bandwidth for, and they do become fun again. Some of the self-love part seems like a mindset shift also. Like you listen to what you're saying to yourself, but then you stop and you reframe it in a way. So how do you keep that going long-term? How do you sustain it? Because we all know that that inner voice is going to keep coming and it may quiet down a little bit, but it's still there. So how do we not give into it? long-term? So I definitely think in part, it is the mindset shift. A lot of things are mine. A lot of these things are mindset shifts are just reframing the way we view things, the way we interact with things. A big piece of it is that self-care. The more self-care we have, the more nourished we feel, the more energy we have, the more we're ready to take things on. And I like to say that when you have sufficient self-care in your life, the mountains in your life become molehills. You've just built up your resilience to the point where you're better able to handle these things as they come up for you. So when your resilience is low and that inner critic starts chattering at you, it's a lot easier to buy into it and believe it and let it run the show. When your resilience is high, it's a lot easier to say, oh, okay, you know what? we've had this conversation before. I don't want to have this conversation again right now, or I can have this conversation with you, but I don't want to, I don't ever want us to reject any part of ourselves. And so when the inner critic comes up, it has something to say to you. Usually our inner critic is talking to us from a place of fear for something. It's usually fear-based. And so we don't want to dismiss the fear. But when we hear it and we say, okay, I heard you, but this isn't really something that I feel like is a fair fear or concern, whether it's not rational, whether instinctually we've checked in with our intuition and we know it's not rational. If it is just, you know, something that we can say, okay, I I hear you. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. And now it's okay to let it go. When our resilience is high, it's a lot easier to do that. So making sure that you're taking care of yourself is a key piece of that long-term. This isn't self-care for two weeks until I don't feel burnt out anymore and then go. This is a lifetime commitment. So it's a consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And as you practice, just like any muscle, these things all get stronger with time. And as you practice some of those mindset shifts, as you practice being able to hear the inner critic, without attaching to the inner critic, it becomes more and more routine and it becomes more and more second nature. So for instance, things like my intuition checks, I don't always even notice I'm doing them. I just know I'm doing them. I do embodied intuition checks most of the time. And so that for me is just a habit. And so some of these things become habits if you tend to catastrophize. And then as that script starts running in your head, you have a counter script which you've practiced and rehearsed and worked with over and over and saying, okay, that sounds like a really worst case scenario. Let's be realistic. What is a reasonable case scenario? 
Okay, what is a best case scenario? Okay, and then depending on what is the percentages, we frequently have similar places that that inner critic goes back to. It knows those little soft spots and it touches them. And so rehearsing those scripts, the more and more you practice them and the rehearse them, the easier it becomes. And there's one thing I've noticed with the inner critic myself is that I never used to question it. Like you said, it loops over and over and I would just believe it to be true because I've told it to myself forever. And now I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) And I'm questioning it for the first time. And I think that's an important step too for people. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is huge. A big piece of that unique priorities work that I do with people is getting clear on why is this your story? Why do you believe this? Is this truth? Is this truth or is this a myth? Is this a story that you've constructed or is this a story that you've inherited? Unfortunately, we inherit a lot of stories. I believe that. Is this a story that is based in things you've seen or experienced or believe will really happen in your life? Or is this a story based on someone else's hope or expectation for how you may behave (laughs) or your own hope or expectation for how you may behave that is not in line with how you actually want to behave. So one of the things I've been working with recently, I've been working with it off and on over the years, but it's resurfaced for me recently, is getting really clear on being okay with who we are and releasing the alternate reality versions of ourselves that we could be if we weren't really us. That sounds like deep work. Yeah, yeah. And so it is, it's all of this kind of just, as you start listening, as you start saying, what is this voice saying to me? Do I believe this voice? Is this voice telling me something that's important for me to hear, to pay attention to, to take action on? Or is this voice telling me something from a place of fear, from a place of worry, from a place of anxiety, because it's trying to keep you safe. Your inner critic is trying to keep you safe, but it's trying to keep you safe using a physiological system that kept you safe when bears and lions were regularly trying to make you dinner. The way we live, the world we live in, our technology has changed much more rapidly than our actual physiology, than the way our body functions. And so it it is trying to keep you safe, just not in a way that's particularly helpful for the way we live most of the time. Right. I can see that. Totally. So I I know you also talk about we can set ourselves up for success with personal development. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? So a big place where we don't set ourselves up for success (laughs) (laughs) is personal development. (laughs) Is we try to take these huge changes. So you and I are having this conversation shortly after the new year. And we set these New Year's goals, these New Year's resolutions with like this assumption that there is some magic wand that gets waved December 31st and January 1st, we wake up a totally different person and ready to just change 15 habits and be running a mile when we've never run a step and be cooking 15 healthy meals a week when we do not know how to cook. We have these assumptions that we're just going to magically change everything. And that's how we set ourselves up for failure. So to set ourselves up for success, I really strongly encourage everyone to take little steps, to pick one goal, to break that goal down into bite-sized pieces, to give yourself time to move through each piece, to make them habit, to make them routine. I like to use the example of working out. If you go to the gym and you decide this is it, I'm getting in shape and you're couch potato and you go to the gym and you decide I'm getting in shape and you, you know, half an hour on cardio, 40 minutes lifting weights, another half an hour on cardio and you go home, you're not gonna be able to walk the next day. (laughs) You're going to be so sore. You're not going back to the gym for weeks, months, maybe even a year, but If you make that goal to get into shape and you take a 15 minute walk for two weeks, and then maybe you take a 30 minute walk for two weeks, 
And then maybe you go to the gym and use the cardio equipment for 15 minutes a day and then take a gentle yoga class, maybe. If you step yourself up, you're going to do it every day because you're not in pain because you're slowly seeing accomplishments pile up. And so when we take everything and we break it down into those little bite-sized pieces, we actually allow ourselves to succeed at reaching our goals. Yeah. And I think to your point, when we jump all in, sometimes we take on so much, it's not sustainable. So like, if you look at doing two hours of exercise a night, no one's going to keep that pace up. Even if they were able to walk the next day, you just don't have that amount of time to give away each day. Right. And you know, if that is your ultimate goal, then if you add 10 minutes to your routine every two weeks, you'll eventually get there. You'll find that time. It'll begin shifting from other things. Right. But I can't imagine any of us have two hours in our schedules right now that we sit doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) I know I don't. (laughs) I wish I did. What are your favorite quick and easy self-care techniques? I know you mentioned that. Yeah, I love this one. So the first one is our breath. So going back to that sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, we can't just say to our body, hey, switch the state of my sympathetic nervous So let's just say my nervous system, switch out of sympathetic and into parasympathetic, go. It's an autonomic system. We don't have that level of control. Just like you couldn't say to your heart, beat slower, beat faster. Right. So what we do have control over though, is our breath. And our breath can be used as a signal to trigger our nervous system to switch from one to the other. So when we take slow, deep inhales and full, complete exhales, we're actually triggering our body to say, oh, hey, it's safe. It's safe for me. We're breathing like it's safe. So it's safe for me to be in the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest state. It's safe for me to relax. And so it takes less than a minute. And I love the audible exhale because you're able to actually just really release. And so that's just a full inhale through the nose, feeling the breath, fill your belly, your rib cage expand. Then you open your mouth and you just let it out with a, and whenever you start feeling stress bubble up, um, I encourage people to just take three of them, take three audible exhales. And I love even more if you use them instead of a triage tool, if you use them as a preventative tool. So I encourage people to set an alarm on your phone or your smartwatch or whatever device you use to just alert you every hour, three audible exhales takes a minute and you're done. The other one that I love that takes just a few minutes, a minute, two minutes is a mindful moment. That practice is pausing what you're doing, noticing the world around you with all five senses and get super detailed in your description. So I've got a cat sitting on my lap. Her fur feels soft, like satin looking at the fur. What color is it? What does she smell like? I'm not going to lick her, but like, what taste do I have in my mouth? (laughs) Earlier, when we started talking, she was purring. So what sound, what do I hear? And so get really descriptive for yourself. Right. You can do this in your head. Descriptive for yourself. What are you aware of? What are all of your senses telling you right now in this moment? The reason that works so well is because the present moment is almost always safe. When we're anxious, we're thinking about fear in the future. When that inner critic chimes in, we're usually living in the past. We're usually regurgitating fear and anxiety about things that have happened in the past. The present moment right now, right where we are, right where we're sitting is almost always safe. And if it's not safe, you absolutely want your sympathetic nervous system kicking in and helping you thrive. So that also helps trigger that switch and helps you shift into your rest and digest mode so that you can calm down, nurture and nourish yourself. And that one also is really helpful to use as you feel stress and anxiety bubbling up. But also I love to recommend it as a triage tool for the first sip of every beverage you have, or the first bite of every meal you have. I do not recommend it for the whole beverage or the whole meal because you'll never finish. 
it takes a minute or two. So if you did that with every bite or every sip, it would take you a very long time. Or every time you cross a threshold. So every time you walk from one room into another or from indoors into outdoors, habit stacking, it's a great way to trigger that alert and that awareness. When we do these things, talking about building up our resilience, when we do these things as triage tools, we're building up our resilience. That's neat. I had heard of breath work before, but I'd never had anyone explain it, that it's actually switching what system you're functioning out of. I'd never heard that. So that's excellent to know. Yeah. So many of our systems are autonomic. So many of our systems we have no control over, but our breath we do. And that can be so, so powerful. If you think about when you're anxious, you're doing short, shallow breaths. And when you're relaxed, like when you're on vacation or right before you fall asleep, those are slow, deep breaths. And so usually the breath follows the body, but we're using the breath to guide the body in this case. So I was listening to a lady that does breath work the other day, and she was talking about making your exhale last longer than your inhale. Mm -hmm. Is there something to that? Because it does seem more relaxing for some reason. We could talk about breath work for hours, but yes, the longer exhales do help, do help slow down everything, but they do help. They send a calming signal. Okay. So I would recommend if counting and timing your inhales and exhales adds stress, don't worry about it. The goal of this is not to add stress, it's to reduce it. But if you want to play around and experiment, I would suggest either aiming for equal inhales and exhales, which is how we naturally would breathe, but is not how we breathe anymore. The rate at which we breathe has changed dramatically over the last several decades. The average American breathes, I think it's four times faster now than they did in the 1940s. Wow. So even inhales and even exhales can sometimes feel uncomfortable if that's not how you normally breathe. And it's a good thing to play around with and experiment with. And that's a great technique. But if that feels uncomfortable, those longer exhales absolutely will help you continue to relax and slow down. It's less about how long you inhale and exhale and more about, is it done thoughtfully, mindfully, slow and controlled? Okay. Awesome. So I know coaching is one of your passions. So for those of us that have never had a coach, can you kind of describe what a coach does for us? Yeah, absolutely. So a coach is part of your team. A coach is going to help you see where you might be getting stuck, where you might be running into mindset roadblocks, habit roadblocks, any kind of things that are keeping you in habitual patterns that are not helpful or healthful. And they will help you create a roadmap to move away from those, whether that's working to release them, whether that's replacing them with new habits, new thought processes, a combination of both. So a coach will work with you to do that. The two really wonderful benefits of working with a coach. The first is that they are able to see and reflect things, just as you had mentioned that for a while, you didn't even question your inner critic. Right. They're able to hear what you're saying and say back to you, well, I hear you saying that, but is that really true? Or is that really what you believe? They're able to hear it and reflect it back in a way that many of us, because we're stuck in this place, have never questioned, have never thought to look at, have never thought to ask those questions. Exactly. And the other benefit of working with a coach is they've got the tools. We've been through this journey. (laughs) Most coaches that I know are coaches because they've had to face these struggles. They coach from a place of surviving whatever journey they've been on. And so coaches come with a toolbox full and they're able to listen to what you're struggling with, where your blocks are and say, here's a really great tool. Here's a really great mindset shift here's a way to approach this that will work for you. You can work with a coach in a group setting or a coach one-on-one. The difference between those two is in a group setting, you'll be getting more general information. And in a one-on-one session, it'll be specifically tailored to you. 
So as a coach, how often do you check in with your client? Is it weekly? Weekly. Okay. Yeah. It's sometimes I have somebody who would prefer every other week, depending on their schedule. But yes, even if we're only meeting every other week, I'm still emailing and checking in with them weekly. I assume part of it's accountability too, isn't it? To make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It is. That's a big piece of it as well. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. When you make the commitment to work with a coach, you're committing not only to do something, but you've put something on the line. So you're investing in this transformation. And once you've done that, it's a lot harder to say, "Eh, I don't feel like doing it this week. (laughs) I love accountability buddies. I think that even if it's not a formal coaching situation, I think even if you want to go for a walk every day, is there a friend that can take that walk with you? Or is there a friend that you can check in afterwards and say, hey, I took my walk today. And if they haven't heard from you, they send you a text and they're like, hey, how's that walk going? I think that is super helpful. But when you have also financially invested in it, it's a lot harder to say to yourself, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Exactly. Yeah. I think that investment part is probably a key part of it. Yeah. So I know like you also teach yoga. I know you have a blog and a podcast. Yeah. You want to tell us about any of that? Oh gosh. Yeah. So yoga, anyone who's in the Kansas city area, I do private yoga lessons, one-on-one small group. So they can reach out to me for that. I have a blog. There's a of content on it. If anyone's looking for anything related to mental, emotional hygiene, learning how to shift the way you're showing up in your life, any of that, I've got so much on there. I have a brand new podcast. It launched this year. It launched at the beginning of 2023, releases every week, and it's called Solicited Advice to Live Your Best Life. And so I actually answer listener questions. Oh, that's neat. So any questions? that listeners have, I answer, and it's about a 10 to 15 minute podcast most weeks, because I really believe in making actionable steps. So I think it's so easy to think we hear a podcast, we hear something like this conversation. We think, Ooh, there's a lot of good advice in that. And then we don't really follow (laughs) through. (laughs) So with my podcast, listen to 10 to 15 minutes. Most weeks, there is a worksheet of some sort that you can download, that gets you, you know, step-by-steps, things are broken down. You've got your action steps right there, or it's a resource that helps you implement whatever we're talking about. So I think that's such a valuable piece of it is that actionable piece out of it. Oh, it is. And then I do one-on-one coaching remotely. So you can be anywhere in the world and that also people can find on my website and get more information on. And I have various resources that you can also find on my website. But yeah, we talked a lot about a lot of things. I do have a free self-care toolkit. Uh, It's 27 pages. It has everything someone would need to really figure out where their self-care might be going wrong if they're actually using self-care or self-work and then how to customize it to their lives. So that's available on my website. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Just grab that if they want to just dive right into implementing something. I'm sure, like you said, it being the start of the new year, I'm sure a lot of people want to be doing something, changing something. They might not know where to start, though. Yeah. Yes. And that is a value of working with the coaches. They can kind of help you find the right in. But if you're doing it on your own, one of the things I suggest is picking the thing that feels the most doable. So if you want to make a bunch of changes, what actually feels like you could make the change? What feels more actually achievable versus aspirational right now? Do one at a time, not 15. Yeah. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure that they've heard today? I know we covered a lot, so. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think we covered so much. I want to make sure people don't feel oversaturated. (laughs) I think it all flows. I hope it did anyway. Good. Yeah, no, I think we covered so much. So I'm available. People can reach out to me via my website, which is nourishnestbreathe.com or on social media. So I'm just nourishnestbreathe on everything. 
I'll definitely include some of your links on the show notes for the podcast. So if they forget or didn't write it down fast enough, they can go to the show notes. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And I thank you so much for being here today. You did have a lot of awesome information to help us get started. So thank you, Michelle. I really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And you brought up such wonderful points. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Kate sharing her journey and her wisdom has helped you in some way. A few things really stood out to me. First, Kate mentioned when you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. I hadn't really thought about how agreeing to do something limits your other options, but it sure does. And that's why it's important to be selective instead of always just trying to be helpful by saying yes and then sometimes getting in over your head. Similarly, when you say no to something, that means you're also saying yes to something else. It certainly puts a new twist on how you should decide what goes on your to-do list. Secondly, setting yourself up for success when it comes to personal development. Like Kate mentioned, many times we get so excited for change that we take on 15 different things, and in the long run, we accomplish nothing. Versus trying to take on one thing and mastering it. Sometimes that mastery also requires having accountability with someone, whether it's a friend or a coach, just having someone that makes you accountable for sticking to what you say you're going to do. Kate also talks about how self-work and self-care are very different things. And although self-work is very important, you should never neglect self-care. You know, those things that recharge you and fill you up so you can take on a new day. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.